0: Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. I just want to follow up uh, what Pastor John said. What a, what a great and timely word. And I just want to let you know that we not only want to pray that those financial chains would uh, fall. We want to help you. And we want to walk with you through that. There is a class, a Dave Ramsey class, Financial Peace University. And we run that in continual cycles. You can go to cfachurch.com slash groups. And if you've already missed the start of this cycle, um, we keep running those or, or email us. You can go to our website email us and we'll get you the information on that okay I think that's important that's really important because um, can I just be real honest that that one takes more than a prayer you need tra- you need training and you need support um, and so and so I encourage you we're gonna pray that those chains break but then we're gonna help you and walk you through that and it is I tell people uh, third most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Number one, Jesus. Number two, who you choose to marry. Number three, how you choose to steward your finances. Three most important decisions you'll ever make. And everybody's got to go through FPU. It's just, uh, it's life changing. So there's that. There's my mini infomercial. So welcome uh, this morning to all of our locations. Welcome to all of our locations. Uh, I want to I wanna, uh, speak a word from John chapter three. John chapter three. If you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn there, if you uh, are familiar with church, been around church. This will be a familiar passage to you. If you're new to church, or somebody brought you, and you're already a little bit nervous, and what's going on, and now the preacher's talking about familiar stuff, and where's John in my Bible? Listen, don't be don't be nervous. You're why you're why we do these things on Sunday morning. We are so glad you're here. Just relax. God's going to speak to you, and we're going to explain this. But John chapter three, uh, John 3:16. That's where the famous kind of salvation verse comes from. But I want to read this. morning morning out of the the message translation which I think will bring uh, some fresh insight into the the uh, power of this verse and the word that I want to bring today is entitled entitled it's night and day it's night and day John chapter 3 beginning at verse 1 there was a man of the Pharisee sect Nicodemus and I want to insert a parenthetical statement that is not in the text, but it's but it's true to the text. Nicodemus, by, by day, he was a prominent leader among the Jews. But late one night he visited Jesus. By day he was a prominent leader among the Jews. By night he visited Jesus. It's night and day. See, Nicodemus had two sides. By day, Nicodemus was the envy of the town by day, Nicodemus was who every young Jewish boy wanted to be when he grew up by day Nicodemus was respected and admired by day he had made it by all accounts he had achieved success he was the at the top of his field and yet by night he's sneaking out of the synagogue at night to have a conversation with Jesus. By night, Nicodemus shows us that he was empty. By night, he was hurting. By night, he was searching. By, by night, there's this phrase that I believe was resonating in Nicodemus' soul that said something like this. There's got to be more to life than this. And can I remind you as we continue through this Multiply series to please not read somebody's answer or negative answer to Jesus on their life. That just because by day it looks like they've got it made, they've got, they don't have any financial problems, it doesn't look like they got marital problems, it doesn't look like they have car problems or house problems or job problems, that there is a lot of Nicodemuses in our society that have a day self and a night self. By the way, I'm talking about us too. See, you, ha- you have two sides. I have two sides. You have a day self and a night self. Maybe by day you're driven to succeed, but at night you're asking, am I enough? Maybe by day people compliment you, but by night you're still striving to hear the words of a father that would just say, I'm proud of you. By day the family puts on a good front, by night it's been ages you can't even remember the last time you've had a meal together. By day, you think you're managing your stress. By night, you snap and yell in anger at the people that you love the most and you care about the most just because you know that they'll forgive you. By day, you're the life of the party. By night, you can't pull yourself away from social media because you're so afraid of being alone. By day you have the answers, by night all you have is questions, by day you have it all together, but by night there's a longing in your soul. And we all have this, we all have our day self and our night self. And how this breaks down is the day self is the image of you, but our night self is the real you. And we have to understand today that our soul will never be at peace until our day self aligns with our night self. See, there's a, there's a fault line that runs between the day self and the night self. And, and when that fault line is not congruent with how those two sides match up, it becomes, it becomes a fractured soul. And what we do then is we move into instead of living our life holistically, instead of living with joy and peace, instead of living this life that we sang about that is a life of freedom and and all of the blessings of heaven, what, what happens is we fall into something called image management. Image management, in case you don't know what that is, it's like the, the, the post that I read on Facebook and they were suggesting, they were giving a, a Halloween costume tip and they said uh, maybe for Halloween you should just go as the person that you pretend to be on social media. <laughs> so so that's, that's what image management is. Image management is taking 21 selfies and finding just the right filter before you post that picture on Instagram. Image management is wearing yourself out with the conversations that you have in your head between you and another person. How many of you had 50 conversations this week and nobody else was even involved in the conversation? It was the conversation of you and what you thought that they were going to say. It was what you wanted to say but didn't have the guts to say, and then their reaction to that. It was what, right, we do this. We have these conversations that never actually materialize into conversations. But can I help somebody this morning? See, we think all the time that everybody else is thinking about us. Can I just help you? They're not. They're not. You're way less important than you think you are. You know what other people are thinking about themselves and what you're thinking about them and so we just fall into this idea of image management and can I tell you that that is exhausting It's exhausting. Not only is it exhausting, it will fracture your soul and you won't ever live with true life and true health and true peace. And so this is the conversation that Nicodemus is having with Jesus. Nicodemus realizes, I got two sides. I'm leading this double life. And so he goes to Jesus and says, I've been watching you, Jesus. There's something authentic about you. There's something real about Jesus. You're the same person with the disciples that you are in front of crowds. Jesus, you're the same person with one single woman at the well as you were with Zacchaeus. Jesus, you were the same person. And it is only by finding the life in Jesus that our souls can find alignment and we can find the true joy in life that Jesus wants to give us. So let's look today at a couple of things, let's first of all look at the night and how we experience soul fracture in our our lives. There's a couple of things that Nicodemus was experiencing. Number one is this, is that being around the things of Jesus, but not being in love with Jesus, that's soul fracture. Bible says in verses uh, uh, one and two, Rabbi, we all know you're a teacher straight from God. No one could do all the God-pointing, god revealing acts you do if you weren't in on it. Do you see how much Nicodemus knows intellectually about Jesus? Like if he's in his Bible theology class at Southeastern University, he just got an A on the test. But he failed in life how many of you know that you can be around the things of God see it's it's this dichotomy this this dichotomy that's so strange like on one hand I think I love what David says in the Psalms. David is continually saying, man, I want to be in God's house. If the doors are open, I want to be in God's house. If there's a 6 o'clock prayer on Monday, if I can get there, I want to be in the house of God. If there's a service, I'm going to be in the house of God. Wednesday night, I'm going to be in the house of God. Like, I just I love that about David, that he always wants to be in the house of God. And that's what we need to preach, that the answers are in the house Answers to life are in the house of God. If you're broken, get in the house of God. If you're, if you're religious, get in the house of God. Whatever you need, the answer is in the house of God. And yet the dichotomy can be that the house of God is where you need to be. But if you're not careful, the house of God will actually push you away from your relationship with Jesus instead of drawing you in. And it has nothing to do with what is done in the house of God. It all has to do with the condition of our heart. And as if we choose to keep things at a distance, we can become so familiar with something, right? Um, sometimes it's not until you travel that you appreciate being home. It's not until uh, you're, you, you, you go on a, a, a missions trip until, until the construction on I-85 doesn't seem so bad anymore. It's when we get a different perspective. It's when we we get a different perspective. And so that's a dangerous place to be. The second thing about Nicodemus is knowing things, and it just goes right along with the first one, knowing things in your head without knowing them in experience. Verses 10 and 12 later on in the passage, Jesus says about Nicodemus, Nicodemus, like you teach the Nicodemus, you're a vacation Bible school teacher. Nicodemus, you're a seminary professor. Nicodemus, this is what you do for a living. You're a respected teacher of Israel, and you don't know the basics. Listen carefully. I'm speaking sober truth to you. I speak, I love this, that Jesus says this. And we understand that Jesus is 100% God, and he's 100% man. And I believe that Jesus is making this statement more from the human side, the the side of humanity, than he is from the side of divinity. And he says, I speak only of what I know by experience. By experience. Uh, Have have you heard people say uh, this this phrase or an idea like this, where you you can't live by experience? And, and I think I understand what they mean by that. I think really they mean by they mean like you can't live by emotions, and sometimes emotions are tied into experience, but they're very different things. And I would agree that we can't live by emotions, but you can't live by experience. You can't live by your experience. Like that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Like try, like try, try that, try that on a date and see how that works. See how that conversation goes over dinner. Like I'm just going to, I'm just going to intellectually. You've been married 20 years. I'm just going to intellectually observe our dinner together uh, uh, fr- from from a distance, sir. That is not going to go well for you. Like even even the eating experience, right? Like I'm just going to intellectually observe this steak from a distance. I mean, I'm going to get it in my belly, but I'm not going to chew on it. Like, how do you not live by? life is experience life is experience by the way can i let me let me give the single guys especially a little advice because uh, some of you are working this up in your mind and you're like Valentine's Day and i have my eye on somebody and val- Valentine's Day this is the day i'm going to i'm going to ask her out for the first time don't you dare do that <laughs> like what Pastor Doug, why Why not, is there something in the Bible against that? No, you are setting yourself up for failure, young man. You have set the bar too high right off the bat. You got to start low so that her expectations of you are low, and then you got to work up, you got to work up. Come on, married guys, testify. Point to yourself say low expectations low expectations that's the way you gotta but experience you gotta experience see some people i don't get i don't get this idea of well i'm i'm just going to intellectually experience jesus from a distance how's that work i'm going to intellectually experience worship from a distance, I'm gonna read the Bible just and listen. Believe me, I'm all for education, and I love the intellect, and the and so I'm not uh, arguing for this. Check our brains at the door and don't intellectually uh, engage with the Word of God. No, of course not. We do, but but it goes beyond that. Jesus Himself says, "I don't just know God intellectually. I've experienced something." And if Jesus Himself needs an experience, how much more do I need? an experience. So I, I, I got this uh, I got a bicycle here and speaking of speaking of uh, classes, we had when I was in a, a class several years ago, um, my professor gave us a book to read by Michael Polanyi and he, he called it our hazing experience is what he called it. Like this dude was smart and he was very cerebral and you're just like, it's one of those books that if you check out just a little bit, you just read two pages, and you're like, oh, man, I don't have any idea what I just read. So you got to go back. And, but, he, but then he, he got to, there was like one small paragraph that had a story about a bicycle. I'm like, oh, this is for me, Jesus. A story about a bike, I'm tracking. But here's what Polanyi he said, and it and, uh, was really interesting. He said that he interviewed physicists, He interviewed bicycle manufacturers and he interviewed uh, another group of scientists, right? And he asked them, explain intellectually, explain scientifically how riding a bicycle works. And do you know that there wasn't one physicist, not one uh, bicycle manufacturer that could fully explain from a scientific uh, vantage point how to ride a bike. So, let me demonstrate this by picking somebody completely at random, Pastor John. Come on up and, and help me with this. So, so let's just pretend. Let's just pretend John, by the way, and and uh, Steve and Kevin and Pastor Paul and Davidson, they just got back from a week at Southeastern pursuing their master's degree. And so give it up for them. They're charging hard with their education. So we be, we believe in this stuff as a, as a team. We One of our core values is that we want to be lifelong learners. Lifelong learners. Life, and, and so we want to continue in that. But if... If John, if you'd never ridden a bicycle before, and if I just, you know, I, I took the training wheels off and put the kickstand down, and if I were to explain, and this is, this is the science of riding a bike, although not perfect, it's as close as they can come, so just lock in, I know it's been a, a long week, a lot of classwork, but lock in here. Scientifically, to successfully get on that bicycle and ride, you've got to have this understanding that for a given angle of unbalance, which is speaking of the curvature of each of the winding of the handlebars, that is inversely proportional to the square of the speed at which the cyclist is proceeding. So good, we've intellectually engaged, you have scientific knowledge, but but how many of you understand that... Five-year-old John, if Papa Hernandez read that to him, I don't care if it was in English or Spanish or some combination thereof, he is not, like there's going to be two screams. Like the screaming when when Papa Hernandez lets go of the bike and the scream when John hits the ground. But if I say this, hey, John, hop on the bike and... I believe that you got the feel for it. And you know, you can do this and just, ri- just ride. Look at him go. Come on, y'all cheer Pastor John on here. Just making laps like nothing. I believe he could probably hop down the stairs and ride down the aisles. And, and Y'all give Pastor John one more hand. Thank you so much. But can I preach this to somebody about your relationship with Jesus this morning? Listen, I am all in favor. You want to search the scriptures. The Bereans search the scriptures. They intellectually engage. that's wonderful. But there, if you want a relationship with Jesus, if you want to ride a bike, there's a point where you have to do something. It's called a step of faith. If you want to have a relationship with Jesus, at some point you got to jump on the bike. You got to jump in and say, I got to experience this thing for myself. I got to try worship for myself. I got to have a personal relationship with Jesus for myself. And then Jesus goes on to say this. Like he's like Nicodemus, you came to me. I'm going to lay it out. We're diving into your soul, Nicodemus. He says, yet instead of facing the evidence and accepting accepting it, you procrastinate. <laughs> you procrastinate with questions. Does that sound like your child? When your child is asking you about how to properly clean his or her room, how many of you understand they are not interested in the scientific workings of the vacuum cleaner? Have you experienced a child who procrastinates with questions? And can I tell you the same spiritually? Hear me this morning. Questions are good until they're not. And sometimes we can question and we can question and it's good to question and it's good to investigate. But again, there comes a point where the question's got to end and you just got to jump on the bike and say, Jesus, I don't understand everything about how, how Jonah got in the belly of a fish and out of a fish. Jesus, I don't understand everything about spiritual language. I don't understand everything, how you could die and be resurrected three days later. Jesus, I don't understand how you could forgive someone like me intellectually. It's beyond. But, Jesus, I'm going to take a step of faith and try try it, try it, try it, try it. That's a word for somebody this morning. That's a word for somebody watching online. Go ahead and try it. Jesus invites you not just to know him with your mind but with your experience. So how do we do this? How do we experience soul alignment? It's simply this, according to John chapter 3. To live wide awake to the love of God and fully alive to your purpose. See, this isn't just, um, I was with a, an old college buddy this week that I hadn't seen in years. And uh, in college, during my college years, there was a movie called Point Break. Don't watch that. So that movie is a movie that I saw it on TBS. Even like the TBS version, I'm like, not. Nah, Doug, you were barely saved, Doug, when you were in college, so I'm not recommending that movie. But it's like Patrick Swayze and Keanu, you know, there's an intellectually stimulating actor right there. You know, so Patrick Swayze and Keanu, they're like this, these these guys that are living on the edge and, and adrenaline rush and, and all of this. And my buddy was making, making fun of me a little bit. He, sa- he said that wide awake, fully alive language reminded him of Patrick Swayze and Point Break. And I'm like, okay, I get that. But that's not where it came from. Like it actually came right out of the scripture, right out of the word of God. And so you have to understand bib- biblically when we say that we want you to live wide awake, to the love of God and fully alive to your purpose. This is coming right out of the book of John. So let me explain this just really quickly. I think it's important that you have this understanding. John uh, wrote his gospel to parallel Genesis. So Genesis begins with in the beginning God created. John begins with in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So the book of John parallels Genesis. Genesis starts with physical creation. John starts with spiritual creation. Genesis starts with physical life. John starts with spiritual life. So let me read this. The message is going to make this come alive this morning. Verse 3, Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me. Unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. How can anyone, here's the the questions again, how can anyone, said Nicodemus, be born when he's already been born and grown up? You can't re-enter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you saying with this born from above talk? And Jesus said, you're not listening, Nicodemus. I'm going to be patient with you. Let me say it one more time. Because unless a person submits to this original creation, watch this, the wind hovering over the water creation. So in Genesis, the earth was void and without form and God's spirit, his ruach, it's the same word for spirit and wind, the wind hovering over the water of creation. And when God spoke his word through his spirit, what was dead became alive. Adam was a lifeless lump of clay until the ruach, the wind hovering over the The water of creation spirit is breathed into Adam's nostrils and he becomes alive physically. Now watch what Jesus says. The wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into a new life. It's not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that, a body you can look at and touch, but a person who takes shape within is formed by something you can't see and touch the spirit and becomes a living spirit. So what Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus is just as in Genesis, God breathes with his spirit, you can become physically alive, but just because people are alive physically doesn't mean they're alive spiritually. Just because, just because their heart is beating doesn't mean their soul is alive, and that's what Jesus is saying, and that's what salvation is, is Jesus inviting you to receive the breath of God spiritually into your lungs so that you can truly live wide awake to the love of God and fully alive to your purpose. And that's when a broken, fractured soul begins to come together so that you can experience all that God wants for you to experience. We're talking about night and day. And day and night, we're talking about dark and light and light and darkness. And so Jesus continues to explain. He says, this is the crisis we're in. That God streamed light into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for darkness. See, this morning, again, we all have, we all have a day self, which is really our false self. It's the image of us. It's what I want you to to think about me. It's what I want you to believe about me, but then we have a night self that's a true self. And that true self is fractured. That true self may operate out of fear. And here's what I find really interesting about this story is that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Can I tell you today That Jesus is not interested in you coming to Him with your day self. He doesn't want your false self. He doesn't want. Your pretty self, he doesn't want you all put together self. He wants to come. He wants you to come to him with your night self, with your fractured self, with your with your struggling self, with your fearful self, with your shameful self, with your sinful self. Can I can I preach this to somebody this morning that it, was just nervous about coming into the house of God and somebody invited you and you're like church isn't for me. No, it's exactly for you because we serve a Jesus who invites people to come to him fractured who invites people to come to him because watch this from scripture this is what God does all through scripture all through scripture beginning in Genesis and moving on. God is in the business of turning night into day. That's what that's that's what he does. God turns night into day. See for Paul and Silas at night they were in prison. But at dawn They're testifying to others about how Jesus set them free. At night, Daniel was in a pit of lions, but by day, he was alive and got a promotion. At night, Gideon is hiding from the Midianites, but by day, he's leading an army against them. By night, Jonah spends three nights in the belly of a whale. By day, he's preaching revival in the city of Nineveh. By day, Jacob is terrified and wrestling with God. But by day, he has a new name and a new blessing. By night, the prodigal son is sleeping with the pigs. But the next day, he's got a robe and a ring and a party is being thrown in his honor. And even Jesus the living Christ the Son of God the Bible says that when he was crucified it turned to night and he spent one night in a tomb and two nights in a tomb and three nights in a tomb but on that third So let's go let's go back to the bike real quick before we pray. I feel like there's three statements that probably apply to everybody in the room. You're in one of these three categories. Is how's your relationship with a bike? Here's the first statement. Yeah, I, I, I believe in bikes. That's fine. Demons believe in bikes. Devil believes in bikes. You know I'm not talking about bikes, right? Okay. I believe in bikes. Second statement would be something like this. In my heart, I'm feeling this one today. Pastor, I used to ride a bike. Pastor, when I was five years old, I prayed a prayer in a vacation Bible school. Pastor, in third grade, I said yes to Jesus in my Sunday school, and that's wonderful. But here's my question, are you on the bike? like today. Like today, are you riding? Are you wide awake to the love of Jesus and fully alive to your purpose? Are you fully experiencing everything that God has for you? So at all of our locations, if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, and if you would say, Pastor, I'm either in the first or the second category, but I haven't moved to the third category, and this morning's my morning. I need to move from head knowledge to heart knowledge. I need to move from knowing about Jesus to experiencing Jesus. I need Jesus to heal my soul, if that's you on the count of three. I don't want you to hesitate. If you're watching online, this is for you as well. I want you to throw up your hand, raise your hand as high as it'll go, and we're going to pray for you that you become wide awake and fully alive. One, two, three. Go ahead. I got you. Who else? Who else? Come on. I used to ride a bike, but I'm not on a bike. I got you. Who else? Doug, I believe in bikes, but this morning I'm making a decision. Who else? Who else? Come on. Let's cheer them on, church. Let's cheer them on. Let's pray this prayer this morning. Say, Jesus, I believe in you, but I want to experience you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. I want to know you. I want to live for you. Help me to live. Wide awake to the love of God and fully alive to my purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on one more time. Let's celebrate with those who gave their hearts to the Lord. Thank you so much for joining us. Here at CFA Church, it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home. For more information about this community or to find out how you can connect, simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.